I'm going to focus on the things that make me feel good and that make me proud. And I am not going to focus on anything that makes me feel badly. You dedicated your life. You accumulated the loans and the letters. Your saving lines. Time to save your own. You know you're already successful, but you want more. You want your time back. You want financial freedom and the ability to do what you love from anywhere. This is just for you. Come inside the Flip the Prescription podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kylie. We start in three, two, one. You guys, I have somebody so very special today. Um, I met her in another mastermind. And if you're watching her on video, she's dropped it gorgeous. If you ever see her in person, she's all decked out. She's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. But I want to give you a little introduction to her in a way that touched. She doesn't even know this. So I'll try not to hold, I'll try to hold back the tears. But I ran into her in person at an event in, when, when was it? February? March? First of March, right? in Arizona. And at that time in my life, I was going through a very big financial struggle to which I had taken a risk and that risk had turned south very quickly. And it was April's mindset that when she said this one thing to me, I'll never forget it. She's like, girl, you're just creating your TEDx story. And I've never forgot that you saying that. And I like, I held on to that tight over the next month and I climbed out of my massive hole in a matter of 10 days, like literally 10 days after you and I had run into each other. Um, but so this girl has a girl, like her heart is so big and she was, wants to be like your biggest cheerleader. And I cannot wait to go into more about her story and not only her story, but how has she's experienced working with entrepreneurs and being one herself. What's the difference between somebody who's making five, six, seven, even eight figures and wherever you're at, like, let's get you to that next level. And April and I, we're going to help you out, do, help you do that today, figuring out what that is to do the next level. But first, um, I'm always a big fan of figuring out stories of people so we can understand and, and relate to them. And you all know I have a huge money story. So does April. So welcome on April's Prince. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kylie. I'm really excited to do this with you. Me too. You were telling me already that six years old is when it started. Let's go back. Take me back to six years old. You got it. So I had a little kid that I was held like in class. We had a special project that we were doing during recess and his name was Brad. And he told me that my pants were too short and that my mom should buy me new ones. And I went into this long explanation of how you only buy clothes once a year and it wasn't time because it was spring. And he just looked at me and said, oh, you're poor. And I was just flabbergasted. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not poor. There is no way I could be that. And Brad was just this really smart little kid. So he starts asking me questions like, well, what does your dad do? And I said, well, my dad doesn't live with me. And he said, well, what does your mom do? And I said, she's a waitress. And he said, do you get free lunch? And the moment he said, do you get free lunch? And I knew that I did. I remembered all these other things. Like I remembered being inside the WIC office, even though I didn't know what the WIC office was, right? Where they gave you like cheese, and peanut butter and things that I knew that other kids didn't have. And I remember the days that we were at home and we didn't have any power because it had been turned off and my mom hadn't made enough money at her waitressing job to turn it back on yet. And I just like 
had this visceral shame, but also felt like I should own it. So I said to him, yes, I, I'm poor. And I braced myself for him to, you know, ridicule me or not be my friend or any of those things. And he was actually incredibly kind because he said, yeah, it seems like you probably are. Can I have the blue crayon? or something like that. And I actually write about this in my book, Magic Blue Rocks, because even though he was so kind and became my favorite first grader, I still took on that responsibility and felt like, okay, we're poor. And if my mom could solve this, she would have done it already. So this is on me. So I went home that night and created my first business, which was selling Magic Blue Rocks, because I decided I needed to be an entrepreneur because I wasn't old enough to get a job because I didn't have a bike and I couldn't go get work somewhere. But I was so enamored with George Jefferson on the Jeffersons because he had moved his family from the ghetto to the penthouse with his dry cleaners. So I thought if I can just start a business, then we'll be rich really fast and colored some gravel from my driveway. And when I turned it blue, I gave it magic because, you know, I was six years old. I still totally believed in magic and I could do anything that I thought I could do. Even if an adult said I couldn't do it, I was always able to do those things, whether they were good or bad. Right. So I put that magic in those rocks and took them to school and sold them that very next day. And funnily enough, so I priced them at a quarter because I, I thought one of the tenets of becoming rich, which this isn't true, but again, I was six was that if the money added up fast, that's how you got rich. And I could add quarters really quickly, like in my head. So I thought that's how we'll price it. And almost every kid in my class bought the rock, even though lunch was 80 cents and they had dollars. So like no kid had money for lunch, which is what led most of them to charge their lunches. And that's how my first business got shut down. <laughs> I'm just thinking of my six-year-old right now, and he would totally do something like that. Right? Yeah. And it that really started me on this journey of mindset, because of course the teacher called my mom, and she was, you can imagine as a mom, like how upset she was and how hurt I think that she was for me, that I had this experience and I thought she couldn't help me. And I just remember her having a conversation with me. And that even though she was the strongest person I knew at that point, she started to cry when she talked about how we didn't have any money, but that it mattered more about who you were. And then I also noticed that she was had her eyes just kind of light up and shine with pride when she talked about, but you can do anything. You can be rich. You can do whatever you want. You're so smart. And the interesting thing about that was that's when the mindset about money and about everything kicked in for me because I made that decision as this young kid with this visceral reaction, I'm going to focus on the things that make me feel good and that make me proud. And I am not going to focus on anything that makes me feel badly. And I really began that mindset journey that young. And also that was the first time that I did something with my money mindset. Cause you talked about the difference between six and seven figure earners or eight figure, nine figure, wherever you get to in every one of those situations, someone has encountered a money limit or a money cap that they have in their way of thinking. And once they figure out what it is and they take the action to lift it, that's when they go to that next level. And those situations look different for everyone because they're based on different beliefs. 
but we have all formed our beliefs about money by the time we're six years old based on what people around us think about money. Yeah, and I didn't know that until the last few years. And gratefully, my kids are still young. They're six, three and a baby. Mm -hmm. But my six-year-old, he he got on his head that he wants to have a GMC and a Ferrari when he gets bigger. I think that's a great combo. (laughs) And I've been very... Like if people, when he tells me, cause he'll tell anybody, that's what he wants. Right. Mom, I want to have a GMC and a Ferrari. Like, okay. You're going to take your GMC and your truck for truck things. And then your Ferrari can be for car things that you want to go fast on. And I there's been that. only, only one time where someone said, you better have a lot of money then if you're going to do that. And, and I fixed it very quickly. And I was like, buddy, we can create money and it comes easily. And there's so much money in the world and you can have as much money as you like. I just like went off about. reiterating what money is to him and one of my favorite things to watch him as as he's six and I mean I gave him I like to instill in my kids even though my husband isn't there yet that they just get money to have money they don't have to work for it they don't have to earn it they don't have to like they just show up to them so if I go to the bank and I pull some cash out I always give Easton's how is not quite there yet at three um, but actually I gave her a 20 last time too. So they both got twenties and then Easton the other day said, mom, can I have one of your hundred? Like, okay. Maybe, maybe on a different day, I'll get you a hundred. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, but it's that idea that we, we're instilled our very early on that we have to work for something in order for us to get something that has to be earned. Money is one of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kids to grow up with that. So I'm just, well, you know, there's a combination too, right? You want them to think that money is easy to earn and it's fun to earn mm-hmm. and that you don't have to work incredibly hard because if you do something you really enjoy, it will just come to you. Right. And there's such a balance there because you're also instilling something in them that not a lot of people are going to reflect back to them too, right? So how do you do that in a good way so that they're believing what you're telling them instead of all the scarcity that's out there in the world? Yeah. And one of my favorite things to watch him see is he he has his tote. Like he ended up having like a a small thing and then he went and took all of his money and dumped it into a big tote. And that way he can see a lot more of it at one time because he likes to just sit there and play with it. And I I'm like, how cool is that? Like, what if us adults would have just would just sit down and play with money for a minute, a week, mm-hmm. like just to have the con the con the grasp of it in our hands because nobody carries cash around anymore. Oh, I do. Um, I I love to carry. Cash. I do too. I know, <laughs> but we're not average, April. <laughs> I do. I I love it. It's so funny. And I love to have it like at home in my house, just to have it around for what I don't know, but it just feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I, I, I always try to carry a thousand books on me now in my wallet because mm-hmm. I know like money's there, like it's got my back and I'm, I'm there for it, but I just love it watching these, the, him as a six-year-old and then Hallie is a three. And of course, Chloe is going to be even more special because she's a brand new baby. And I've got all this knowledge in my head now, what I didn't know back then when I had Easton. But it's just fun to watch as the kids. And then you think back to your childhood and you think, okay, what was instilled in me? Mm-hmm. I'm going to carry that into entrepreneurhood 
And as a practitioner in the helping industry, mm -hmm. we're told that we have to help everybody and not charge a dime. And if we do, like, how dare us? So it's just this idea of let's break free, not only what we're all told in childhood, then we go into the school system, we get into even more there. And right. then we get into the entrepreneur world and we're not, as a chiropractor, I took one class on business. That was it. That was all that was offered. Right. And that one class on business was actually a class on insurance. <laughs> And how to get insurance. Your city thing, right? I know, right? It's going to take everything from you. So you have to have insurance. Uh huh. So it was re reworking all that. So mm -hmm. you're six years old. Your your first business gets shut down. I'm sure you started another one. Yeah. Well, the next time I started a business, I was 12. I sold Avon. And okay. they didn't know I was 12. And by the time they figured out that I wasn't an adult, I'd won a sales award. So they let me stay. <laughs> You were born from it from the beginning. How did your mom interact? Like, how did she handle? So it was very interesting. So my mom definitely had a scarcity mindset and there's not enough money. And there is, it's weird. She had like a different belief system for me than she did for everything else. Because I think she recognized that I was just different than most of the people in our family, most of the people we knew. So like the whole thing with Avon was because I already bought my own school clothes, paid for my own school supplies, things like that. Cause they're just, oh, wow. Wild. And I had bougie tastes from the jump. Like I wanted nice things and I felt like I would have nice things. And my mom would say, you can have whatever you can pay for. So just have at it. So she was used to me always, you know, babysitting, trying to find jobs, starting businesses. So her big thing was, I'm not contributing towards it. And don't be stupid with your money. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, though, for her to separate what she had experienced, because again, it's just coming farther up the chain and separating it completely to what your experience is so that you can be the chain breaker. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a great experience. And again, that business also failed because I think I had it for almost a year and it was doing really well. And I was very proud and very excited. I helped the family a lot. I got a lot of things that I wanted to get. But I also uh, put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak, because I would, every time that I would place the order, I needed the money to come in to then place the next order, if that makes sense. And I had a, an order that got delayed for a couple of weeks by UPS. And this was back before you could track things where you'd actually talk to someone on the phone and they're like, we have no idea where it is and it'll show up eventually. And I ended up by the time the order came, a lot of people didn't want their orders. I gave them all free shipping, the ones who did take it and discounted and things like that. And because of that, I, I basically ran out of money. And it was so funny because, again, it goes back to the money mindset, right? Because my mother, after that happened, I had to borrow my grandmother's credit card because my family did not have good credit. So I had to have someone else help me pay for it until I could then get the money back from the customers. And my mom said, business is too risky. You're not starting another business until you're out of my house. <laughs> business is risky. That's right? one. That's a fact. But... I'll take the risk every day. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, so, you know, 
I don't even think business is risky just because everything's risky. Walking outside is risky if you're going to look at it like that, right? And to me, I would much rather bet on myself than bet on someone else and then how someone else is going to perceive my value. And so in the long term, I just don't think there is a better way to build long-term wealth and generational wealth other than having a business. Now, if that's not somebody's cup of tea, there are absolutely other ways. I just don't think there are others that are as fun and easy. <laughs> that's true. But at the same time, like I've got teammates around my team mm -hmm. and it's like the more I can do, the more they can do too. Mm -hmm. My team members, they make more money working for me now than they ever have in their entire life. Love that. And it's and just going to keep getting more and more too. Yeah. And isn't that the most amazing feeling to be able to help people realizing their dreams and, and what they wanted to do from just a, a money and life perspective? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I've been doing it. I love that. <sighs> okay. Uh, I did not know that six-year-old story. And, and I love it because my kids are so young. So I, I do make a very conscious effort. And even sometimes my husband will be like, that's not true. I'm like, I don't care if that's not, if that's what you think, or that's what we're going to teach the kids that, that that's what they think. Right. So, okay. Difference between what do you see in a five figure earner that you don't see in a six figure earner? Wait, before we get into that though, April, let's back into what do you do for business right now? We've done some histories of business, but what do you do right now? Sure. So I have had my farm for about seven years now, and I am a business accelerator and a sales expert. So basically, whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with an entrepreneur or I'm going in and working with a company, I am helping people leverage the generosity culture, which is the foundation of everything I do, which is the more you help people, the more you're going to succeed financially, personally, in your, your life, your relationships, everything. And what I do with the businesses is just help them to accelerate. So basically make a lot more money and a lot less time to put it as simply as possible. And you've been selling since you were six years old, had a very Apparently. good sales business at 12. So you've mastered the sales process. It took me, I mean, honestly, I just copy what Jen does. Anything that Jen Gottlieb would do, I'm like, I'm scrambling, writing down. And now it's like I figured out my own ways mm -hmm. and I've become a very good salesman. But that is not what I started off with. I hated talking about money. I hated asking for money. I hated being salesy. I hated all the things around it. But you can't have a business if you can't sell. Absolutely. Well, and for me, I genuinely, the, the Latin root word of sell is to help. And uh, my friend Bob Berg talks about it in his book and The Go-Giver. And really, that is why selling has always been so easy for me, because I'm never really thinking about selling. I'm thinking, I have something that will help you. Would you like to pay me for it in exchange for that value? And as you go back to money and like the way you were talking about thinking about money with your kids, money is just energy. Money is just an exchange of something for something else. It's no different than if we bartered, but we do tend to really feel like we have to hoard it or there's not enough of it, or if someone else has it, then we can't have it when all it is, is almost like a way of keeping score, but in a fun and exciting way. Yeah. That's what shifted for me too, is wait a second. It's just an energy exchange and way I price my programs and people will say to me, well, you're expensive. Fine. 
I'm too expensive for you right now. That's okay. You'll, you'll want to be on my train at some point. And by that time, I'm going to be even more expensive. So the idea is the exchange of that energy. If I'm creating a program and I'm going to provide energy for that program, I want something in return. And I talked to a lot of colleagues who are like, well, I created this, but I just don't really want to work with it or sell it. And I'm like, well, then what, what's your price tag? Oh, I charged like 50 bucks for it last time. Well, that's your problem because mm -hmm. your energy exchange isn't equal. So therefore you have no desire to even try launching that program or asking people to join it because you're, there's no point. There's nothing for you to gain from it. Well, and I also want to reframe that a little bit for another way for people to look at it. And because I believe in, I, I call it like my Costco mentality. Costco was a client of mine and I loved that none of their stuff is the cheapest, but it's always the best value. What you get for what you're giving, you always feel like you got such a deal, right? And it may be really expensive because it's a higher end product, but, and expensive is relative, but you feel so good about it because it was so valuable. And that program pricing, or when you're selling something to people, that being just a little out of reach, that being something they have to stretch to meet, that actually makes the person who's buying it from you show up better for themselves. And if it's $50, they can never do it and not really be upset with themselves. But if they paid $5,000, if they don't show up and do the work and go through the program, they're going to regret that. So that will help push them and help their success too. Yeah. I always tell colleagues, like, they're gonna, your patients are going to get better results the more you charge because mm -hmm. the more they're invested. If you want better patient results, then start charging more money. Then well, you have to fight them with the mindset stuff too, so. Hundred percent. And sometimes they think, well, I, I want to help people. I want to be able to help everyone. Well, when you do charge a premium for what you're doing, that gives you the leeway to offer scholarship to the people who really want it and genuinely are not at the point where they have the funds yet, but they do everything else. They show up. They say, I really want to do this. Can I have a payment plan? Can I give you reviews? Can I do a video testimonial? And then you have the leeway to help those people too. But it all starts with charging more because especially for practitioners like you talk to, that's how they start to get some of their time back. February, it's going to be a big month. For those of you who have never attended my free CBC intensive, it's happening again February 15th. This is your personal invitation. So sign up, register, it's free, it's live, it's the most favorite thing practitioners love because I'm going to teach you what's included or what's hidden inside the CBC. Five golden markers that will change everything about your patient care. That is happening again February 15th. Register at drkyleeburton.com slash CBC dash intensive. Now also happening in February, the doors are opening to our 90 day functional blood work specialist program. This is our signature program for all of us colleagues, practitioners, clinicians of all backgrounds, where I'll be teaching you all of the blood work and uh, giving you the biggest business tips that are crucial to having a successful virtual platform. You can get all the details and join us before February 29th when doors close as we will begin live together in March at drkyleeburton.com slash 90. All right, y'all. Those are two incredible things happening 
jump on the free workshop if you could join us live awesome if not register anyway so you get the replay and then if you're feeling called to that 90 day program it is huge come join us drkylieburton.com slash 90 and i'll see you on the inside